I believe that purpose is as much about who we are as it is why we exist. And in fact, in many ways, the who we are is really the most powerful tool we have as a leader with regards to how we influence um, ourselves, how we influence each other and how we influence the world. And what we saw in that moment, in that one image, is Jacinta really step into who she was. How do you get 10,000 people to take a step to the left? What's behind the relentless mindset of a world champion? Why do teams of exceptional talent fail? How do you manage the pressure to perform? These are just some of the curious questions we will attempt to answer as we bring you world leaders, curious minds, exceptional talent, successful CEOs, and incredible human beings who know how to inspire great leaders and are inspiring great leaders themselves. I am Craig Johns, high performance leadership expert, international speaker, and CEO of Speakers Institute Corporate and World Sport Coach. This is the Inspiring Great Leaders podcast with ordinary don't belong. Welcome to the Inspiring Great Leaders podcast. Today is a special day where I get the opportunity to sit down and have a deep conversation with a passionate, creative, empathetic, energetic, and a remarkable human being. Residing in Sydney, Australia, our guest has an acute eye for talent, a natural ability to empower people to rise up and stand tall and share their voice. She lives and breathes changing the story of the human race in the 21st century and is curious about the DNA of purpose. She has a diploma of media and communications from the Sydney Institute of Business and Technology, a certificate three in counseling, and is a board member of two wonderful foundations, Project Gen X and Hark Angel Foundation. Her career has included event and sales roles in sports TV, partnerships and marketing management at Ode Management, and is now the CEO and director of Future Crunch. I'm honored and privileged to introduce you to a former 2SM radio announcer, founder of Chakra Intelligence, thought leader and speaker on the DNA of purpose, a wonderful mother of a beautiful four-year-old daughter, and a recent newlywed, Rebecca Maclad. Rebecca, welcome to the show. Such an honor to be here with you today, and I think I'm going to have to get a copy of that intro. I think you have written it far more beautifully than I have written my own biography, so <laughs> thank you. Uh, very good. Well, I know you've written a lot of really, or oh, help people write some really good biographies in your own time, which is fantastic, and we met, uh, first met at Speakers Institute uh, a couple of years ago, and I noticed then we kind of connected really quick, and I, and I think it is to do with our connection and purpose, uh, our talent, and, and even helping people perform better and the, and the world get uh, and be curious about the world. So it's been 
been a really special couple of years, uh, Rebecca. Yeah, look, it's, it's been wonderful meeting, meeting you and being part of um, the Speakers Institute tribe and family and to be a part of that journey as well. So thank you. It's been, it's been a journey. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, we're going to dive into your journey today. And so I'm super excited about that. And I'd like to know for you, what is the most compelling example of purpose-driven leadership in the last 12 months that you've seen around the world? I don't know if this was in the last 12 months, but as soon as you asked me that question, there was one image that came searing into my mind. Um, and that was the image of Jacinta Arden after the attack in Christchurch uh, on the, the mosque. Mm. And I remember seeing her standing there uh, with, you know, grieving families wearing um, the habib. Is that the correct yeah, the term? Habib, yep. yep. Um, and standing there in alignment with these women as one of them, as, as one of them and connecting with them. And there was something about that moment that has really stayed with me because I believe that says so much about what purpose really is. Um, and I think that whilst we often talk about purpose as being a statement of why or a strategy or, you know, it's an overarching directional statement, and that can be helpful. I'm not, you know, I'm not dismissing that as being powerful, but I believe that purpose is as much about who we are as it is why we exist. And in fact, in many ways, the who we are is really the most powerful tool we have as a leader with regards to how we influence um, ourselves, how we influence each other and how we influence the world. And what we saw in that moment, in that one image, is Jacinta really step into who she was mm. as, a, as a leader. And her purpose was felt in that moment because she stepped into showing the world and those people her values her integrity, what was important to her, her ability to be able to connect with people and, uh, and to really engage in empathy as a tool to be able to lead people through a crisis. Um, so yeah, that would be a moment in time that really stands out in response to that question. Mm, very good, and you touched on something really important. You know, it's, you know, I wanna know about the person, I wanna connect with the person. So the who before the why, which is a little bit different to and how I suppose Simon Sinek has positioned, you know, mm. it all starts with why and you need to know your why before your what and your how. But yeah, I think that you just really touched on a great point there about we need to know who we are. And that then, as if you want to influence people, then we can connect on a human level before we want to really understand why you're doing something or what you're doing. Yeah, look, I think it's an interesting um, juxtaposition between the why and the who. Um, and it makes sense that we've got very attached to the start with why philosophy for two reasons. The first one is that in the West, we identify with who we are through how we think about who we are. Mm. Um, so there, there, there is this notion that I think, so therefore I am. Mm. I think, so therefore I exist. And our whole way of being in the world celebrates this idea of 
thinking first. And the whole start with why strategy is a way of thinking mm. about purpose. What's interesting about it is if you look at Simon Sinek, he actually came from an advertising background, uh, which means his take on purpose started with brands. And when it comes to a brand, we need to be strategic. We need to think about how we're going to drive that brand forward. The thing is, as human beings engaging in personal purpose, we're not a brand, we're a human being. But I think we've kind of adopted that same mindset in order to try and understand purpose. Yeah. My take on it is that, yes, we can have a way of thinking about purpose. I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater, which once upon a time I did. Um, I, you know, there's a saying we use at Future Crunch, which is strong opinions held lightly. I've evolved in, in my ideas about that. Where I'm at now is the whole hashtag choose both. And so to look at the both, like both sides of the coin here, if you've got a way of thinking about purpose, that's irrelevant if there's not a way of being in your purpose mm. and living your purpose and embodying your purpose. Um, when we talk about this in the DNA of Purpose keynote, we actually uh, reference an interview that I did on my podcast uh, with Maverick Indigenous commentator, um, a man by the name of Tyson Junkerporter. Uh, I remember researching for that particular episode and I came across his book, Sand Talk, and flicked open to a page uh, and noticed this quote. I referenced it before with regards to how we think, but the actual quote is, I am located, therefore I am, versus I think, therefore I am. The latter is the Western perspective mm. on, on not only how we see ourselves, but how we see purpose in the context of this conversation. The second one is the who. It's basically saying, I am located, I am in this room right now with you, Craig. And so therefore, the only way I can embody and experience my purpose is through you in this particular moment because I am located, therefore I am. And the experience of purpose, the flow I am experiencing, the emotion I am experiencing right now, the interaction and energy between you and I right now can only happen in this space. So therefore, I can only embody my purpose in this way because I am located. And that is the difference between here's my statement of why and how I think about my purpose versus this is who I am and what it means to embody and live my purpose. Uh, very good. And, and it, just, it kind of brought me back to I'm in my first interaction with you and it's the same every time. You are 100% present with, the, with whoever you are next to and whoever is within the room. And I really, really appreciate that because it's, it's hard to find people that are truly will stand there, be grounded, know who they are and embody that with the people around them. Mm, mm. Yeah, it's, um, I, I've never really thought about how or why I did that, but I have over time. And funnily enough, at the beginning of the year, I did uh, some training in what's called the thinking field. Um, and top level, the thinking field is a workshop process where you have a thinker and a listener, you're allocated, say, seven minutes each. The first person has to think out loud for that entire time. The second person has to basically hold space. Mm -hmm. The biggest uh, pattern interrupt in this process is you're not allowed to engage in exchange dialogue. 
in the conversation. And it's not until you actually go through this process that you realize how uncomfortable that is. Because especially as the listener, you are being asked to hold space, to not make comment, not have an opinion, not have any judgments, and to be 100% present. And it's, for me, when I went through this process, and I use this tool a lot with people now, what was fascinating is just observing the number of times my thoughts were going off on tangents about what I thought, how I judged something, what I, my opinion would be, how I would solve that problem. Rather than giving that person 100% of my attention and presence and space for mm. them to think. And it was such a big lesson for me and something that I've, I've definitely taken forward because there is such power in really allowing yourself to be 100% present for somebody else or having that um, that that same space held for you to be able to really think out loud and speak your truth without anyone else being involved or influencing that. I heard this on a recent podcast and I think it was your guest that mentioned this. You need to listen with the passion with which you want to be heard. Mm, yeah, look, it's, um, I do remember that quote. I don't remember who said it. Um, very, very true. I think it might have been Kyla Colvin, actually. Yeah, sounds right. Um, yeah, look, I think what's really interesting is that we are not taught to listen. So we go through school, we go through life, we obviously hear everything that's going on around us, but we're not taught to actively listen. We're not taught that there is a difference and that this actually is one of the most powerful tools that we can have in leadership in order to be an inspiring leader. Mm, beautiful. Oh, we're going to go even deeper into purpose a little bit later on, but first I would like to know, where did you grow up and when you looked up to the sky and were dreaming as a kid, what did you want to be? That's such a good question. I grew up uh, in a small little suburb in the Hills District uh, called Galston, which is right next to the Galston Gorge. Um, it was a beautiful area because whilst it wasn't too far away from the city, um, I grew up on five acres. We had bush, I had horses, dogs, cats. In fact, we had a whole menagerie. Um, I was only thinking back the other day that about the time I actually brought my horse into the house and into the kitchen, <laughs> um, which which was interesting. Luckily, horse did not go to the toilet in mum's kitchen. But, um, look, I have so many fond memories of childhood, and I think for me, the, the greatest influence in my life was the influence of nature. Mm. Um, and it's only now that I reflect back on how important that is as, you know, as I go out into the world um, speaking about the symbio symbiosis that we have as human beings and our connection to nature and realizing that, you know, we are not only in nature, we are of nature. And yeah. that was something that I really embodied as a child. It was such a part of who I was. Um, and yeah, it's, it's part of my essence. And so that was the gift of my childhood was having that connection to nature. Uh, when I looked up to the stars and thought about who I wanted to be. I'm sure there were a thousand versions of myself manifesting at that particular <laughs> point in time. But I spent hours and hours following my dad around. I was um, 
the, the youngest of his four children and the only girl and dad and I definitely had a really special connection and dad um, was and is quite a well-known sports journalist um, which meant that I literally followed him around um, to TV, TV stations, radio stations, sporting stadiums, uh, most no notably horse racing tracks. Um, not that I'm a huge fan of horse racing, but um, you know, I remember, I remember those, you know, times being out at Randwick Racetrack as like a seven or, or an eight-year-old, and Mum would put me in these fancy pink polka dot dresses that I probably hated. But <laughs> following Dad around, and he would be interviewing people and um, we'd walk around and he'd have the you know the camera and the microphone and all of the things and his big notepad with you know distinct uh, handwriting in like bright blue ink long before the days of iPads and, mm. and whatnot and I innately had this passion to want to be like dad I don't think I knew what that looked like if you'd asked me it's not like I would have said oh I'm going to be a journalist although by the time I hit high school that's kind of the path that I took mm. um, but I just knew I wanted to be like my dad actually um, and and you know whilst what I do is extremely different who I am is very much like my dad I you know I've become obsessed with uh, with conducting interviews. I, I love researching to the same level of depth as he does. Um, and also just, you know, mastering my craft and really working with the tools that um, that I've been gifted with, but that I also need to work on uh, with regards to how I communicate and connect with people. So mm. that was quite a long-winded answer to your question. But <laughs> no, very beautiful. I'd like to know, is, is there a certain characteristic about your dad that you feel has really shaped you as a human being? Do you know what it is? It's the ability to dream. That's, that would be the key when I, when I think about my dad's uh, journey. Uh, my dad was one of Sydney's, well, Australia's best race callers. Mm. Um, and so he would tell me stories about him as a kid and he grew up um, in, in a family. He's, you know, they lived in poverty. They had no money. Um, in fact, he left, you know, at 13, uh, got a job as the local male boy delivering newspapers and all sorts of things to be able to support his family and getting food and all of that sort of stuff. Like it was a tough time. Um, he was born in you know the early 40s, so it was not long after World War II, the Great Depression. His mum was single with two little boys. But what he would do to sort of pass time is he would go along to the local rainwater gutter um, and he would, in, in his spare time, collect paddle pot sticks from the local neighbourhood. He would go out to his mum's you know, back shed and paint the paddle pot sticks different colours He'd pick them up, he'd go to the local drain water, um, local rainwater drain, you know, the big mm -hmm. kind of circular ones. Yeah. And after it rained, he would throw the paddle pop sticks into the drain and practice race calling. Wow. So he's like a kid doing this. And this is what he would do time and time and time again. He knew he wanted to be a race caller. At different points, he would hide in his mum's speakers and pretend to be the radio announcer and, and the sports journalist. Um, so I heard all of these stories and then I watched the trajectory of my dad's career, well, from 40 onwards anyway, when I was born. And you just realise that 
all it takes is the ability to dare to dream mm. and then the commitment and the persistence and the determination to make it happen. And I watched that with him. Oh, love so. it. <laughs> I love it. There's such a cool story. I really, really like that. Now, going back into purpose, purpose is interesting, right? So a lot of people get confused on you've got mission, vision, you've got purpose. How does it all connect? Uh, and, and I think people find it difficult to define really what purpose is, yep. you know, especially if we, you know, we might have an internal purpose or we might have a business purpose. Yeah. Um, how, do, how do you define what purpose is? To be honest, in the context of what you're looking to define there, which is the difference between organizational purpose and personal purpose, mm -hmm. I would say that I don't believe that an organization can have a purpose in the sense that I believe that purpose is a human attribute and experience. I prefer to reframe social impact in an organizational context as a return on impact because that's what it is. Mm. A business is a business. It has a bottom line. It has KPIs. It is designed to make money and to have a revenue stream. So whilst a business can definitely have a social impact and should be doing things in the world that enable um, you know, a, a more peaceful, more sustainable and more abundant future for all of humanity, that is a given. That is still attached to a return on impact. Mm. So that is a social impact return. But that is also about how an organization goes about attracting millennials into the organization or, or Gen Z who are wanting to work for purpose-driven organizations. It's also about how those organizations leverage the opportunity of the clean energy transition or transitioning to more sustainable products and more sustainable ways to build processes into an organization. That is all a return on impact because those things are gonna drive revenue as much as they're going to help all of us to transition into, um, the, you know, into the, a, a new era, fundamentally. Mm -hmm. But let's call that what it is, because that is a return on impact. Purpose is a human attribute. Mm -hmm. And purpose is not something that is silo siloed to our experience of work. Great, that's a system in which we can experience purpose based on the premise that, um, you know, I am, I am located, therefore I am. Mm -hmm. I am located, therefore I experience purpose. So it is a system where you can express who you are and maybe that might, you know, that might align to your statement of why, but actually in the context of an organisation, your statement of why might be different to what your statement of why is in your role as a parent or in your role mm. as a part of a sports community or whatever it might be. You might have 10 whites. So I'm not saying you can't experience your purpose in that system, you can, but I think they're two separate things. Very good, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, and so for people, you know, like we quite often hear people, oh, I haven't found my purpose yet or I lost my purpose. How do people actually know what their purpose is or, or when they're in purpose? How do they know? My first uh, response to that question is you are your purpose. Mm -hmm. Stop looking outside of yourself. Stop grappling for this idea of the, the North Star that's all of a sudden going to appear or the elusive 
moment where you know your purpose drops out of the heavens and all of a sudden your life is meaningful stop waiting you are your purpose it's innate to who you are you were born with your purpose mm. the question is not how do i find my purpose the question is how do i start embodying who i am and showing up for that yeah um so i certainly have a tool that enables people to be able to do that we eat in a variety of systems, whether that be, you know, at work or in their communities or, you know, at home, whatever it is, I have a system that will support that, which I'm really happy to talk through that. But yeah, you are your purpose. You don't need to find your purpose. You already are it. You're alive. You're here. What a joy. Just feel that for a moment. Feel the meaning of your existence right now and tap into that energy. That is your purpose. Mm. I love it. And it's interesting because I had someone, uh, I think it was last weekend, who, who said, you know, they, we were talking about Speakers Institute Corporate, which is a business that um, that I own. And, and we're talking about how it had progressed. And they're like, oh, amazing. You found your purpose. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's a, it's a platform in a way where I get to live my purpose through. It's what I like yeah. doing. And I've done it many times in my life. Yeah, it's it's not something I have just gone and found. It's like, no, this platform allows it to be amplified. Yes, because in this platform, I'm able to connect other people who their purpose, they feel fulfilled in the way that their purpose can be utilized in that platform to to feel who they are and to love what they do and be connected with what they're doing. Absolutely. And I guess to come back to your question of what is purpose? The way I would explain purpose is as opposed to it being a fixed North Star or something that exists outside of ourselves, that it is something that exists within us. And in that sense, purpose is an energy in motion. Mm. And this is something I have observed in the hundreds of conversations I've now had about purpose on the podcast, is that it is an energy in motion and that energy and that experience is something that we can only connect to in the present moment when we're tuning into it. And if you think about it as an energy in motion, in that sense, it's more like water. So let's look at this idea of water. Water is something that comes in waves. It gushes, it flows. Sometimes it might also stagnate and freeze. And in those moments, it's useful to be just as aware of of that feeling as much as it is to be aware of when it is flowing. But purpose like water, when it is flowing and when it moves through us, that's when we feel that that state of flow, mm. that moment of absolute presence and connection. And, um, you know, I, I've certainly experienced that a few times speaking where, you know, you'll be doing a one hour keynote and there are points where you're literally struggling through the content. Going, How am I going to get there? Got to get to the next slide. But then there are moments when you're like, wow, those words are moving through me. Mm. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. Now I feel like a dancer. Yeah. And it's those moments that you're like, okay, that is the flow of purpose. And so I think it's about tuning into how we are embodying our purpose. And when we are feeling frozen or disconnected, tune into that as well, because there are insights in that. What is blocking that? Am I scared? Do I have a story that I need to flip? Is there something here that I need to work through that is actually blocking my experience of feeling purpose right now? Yeah, yeah, and, and that happens a lot, right? Mm. And, and sometimes it's a, 
uh, a limiting belief, for instance, that we're not aware of, yeah. that, that may not have been uncovered yet. Uh, there might be something else happening in our life where our subconscious is, is attending to rather than actually being in that moment and just living. Totally. And it's a challenge, right? It's, we're human beings. We, we can't always be in that feeling of flow in purpose. No, and, and there are lessons in, in both states. Mm. It's, it's more about understanding purpose as an embodiment. So stop worrying so much about, I don't know what my why is. Sure, if that's useful and you need to write it down, do it. But choose both. Do that, but start listening to who you are and what your emotional intelligence is telling you. What is your body telling you? And I mean, we are really connected to this, I think, in working with speakers because you can see it in people on stage. You, all the states I'm talking about right now, when you're working with a speaker or an actor or a dancer or anyone who is using their physical body as a tool, these things that we're talking about now become really obvious mm. because you can see when someone is stuck. You can see when they're stiff. You can watch when they're really struggling with their, their confidence or worthiness because they will hunch over, they will slouch. So all of these things are the body reflecting the state of energy. When we feel as though we have flow in our purpose and that deep connection to meaning, the body opens, it expands. When we almost, you know, we almost, as I said before, the moves, the words move through us yes. in that state. Um, so this is work I'm really passionate about because I, th I do feel that because we have so much of a focus on how we think about purpose and what we read about purpose or, you know, what we should strategize about purpose, we actually forget that we are living purpose. Mm. I think it's a good thing for people to, to remember that B, becomes, uh, B comes before Y in the alphabet. Yeah. And it should in yourself Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Which is brilliant. Now, we've had, you know, there's, there's obviously a terrible situation happening in the world right now yeah. in, you know, with Russia invading Ukraine. I, I've watched the president, you know, Vladimir Zelensky, from the Ukraine president, I've watched how he has, has evolved during this time, right? When he first stood up at the beginning... And he presented quite well in a really difficult situation yeah. where Russia decided to invade. And he stands up and he's in a suit and he's reading well and he's, he's connecting with the people. But it's, you know, you can tell it's very political in its way. And then he started to adapt, right? He became a human being and became more present, so to speak. He more came into his purpose where he, he sat down, pulled a chair. He started connecting with the audience. He, he went from the suit to just wearing, you yeah. know, a sweatshirt and and, sh and pants and stuff and became one of the people what are you, what have you observed in the way that he is leading that you find quite interesting in the situation what is really challenging times that people could learn from um this comes back to the the example i used at the beginning of the podcast with regards to jacinta ardern and this is about alignment and so I'm actually, that now's a good entry point to bring in the DNA model, mm. which we just referenced uh, earlier, what it is to embody our purpose and how we go about doing that in different systems. And what you're talking about there is shifting from, I am the leader, here is my armor, I am the authority and in control to going, actually right now, in order to create a sense of safety for my people, 
in order to build belonging, I now need to come into alignment with this system. Mm. So to come back to the DNA framework, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a setup. And then I'm going to take you through this three-step model because I think it's a model that speaks directly to that transition in state that you have just spoken about. Mm. So we can look at it through that example. Um, but it's also something that I feel like your listeners can really go out and apply if they've come to this podcast to understand a different lens on purpose. This is the application. So the idea is that our purpose is like DNA. It is a unique blueprint. It is innate to who we are. It is not something we wait for. It is something that we live. Um, so DNA, for, for those people out there who may not know what DNA is, is deoxyribonucleic acid. And in essence, it's the transformative principle that gives life to the hereditary, to hereditary material. It makes each iteration completely unique, uh, ensuring that every single one of us have our very own unique blueprint um, from the base level up one of the most extraordinary shapes in the world. So that's that's the science of what DNA is. So as a metaphor, what we have here is this idea that we are all completely unique, that our DNA is something that makes us unique, but it also has multiple expressions and forms. So like purpose, it's, you know, imagine if our DNA only had one statement of why, to give you context, that would be a problem for all of us because our <laughs> DNA is doing a thousand different things, but still it does provide us this unique blueprint. But the other thing that is really extraordinary about DNA is that it has the ability to evolve and adapt and adapt. And I know we're gonna talk a little bit about this idea of adaptability because really this is probably the number one skill that leaders mm. need to focus on as we move in to, um, to this next era in business and in life. So DNA has the ability to adapt and evolve. And what we have discovered is the reason for that is due to something that is called epigenetics. Epigenetics basically means overlay. And so in recent decades, what the study of epigenetics has shown us is that, um, is that our interactions with the environment will influence how our DNA is actually expressed. Mm. So top level, what genes will be turned on and what genes will be turned off. So again, to bring this metaphor back to human purpose, what we're talking about here is that DNA holds a set of data points around who we can be. Epigenetics, the overlay, the environmental factors will enable the DNA to decide, to, to decide who it is becoming. What is its potential? Mm. Um, for example, if you look at bees, you've got worker bees, you've got your queen bee, they're all born with exactly the same DNA. The epigenetic factors influence why the queen bee becomes bigger than all of the worker bees, because she consumes something called royal jelly, which is full of like, you know, amazing nutrients and, and all of the good things that interacts with her DNA, altering it so that she becomes a bigger bee. She mm. becomes the queen bee. Whereas the worker bees just have nectar and pollen. So their DNA stays the same and they all become worker bees, just to give you an example. Mm. So to come back to this idea, if we understand our DNA is our unique blueprint, but that it is also something that is not fixed, 
It's something that evolves. And what causes that to evolve is the systems in which we exist is one circle around that. So who I am, who I am as in my DNA is going to be different in the context of sitting here with you doing this podcast or at work or in my family. They're epigenetic factors that are going to influence how I show up, which values I bring forth, what skills I bring forth, what tools I bring forth. They're all going to be determined by these external factors. And then the additional overlay on top of that is the world at large. How does my DNA evolve in the wake of a war in Ukraine, to use the example you have just discussed? How does my DNA evolve uh, with emerging technologies, with AI, with a global pandemic? And that is where we see epigenetics playing a part in our adaptability quotient. And if we view our purpose as a fixed North Star or as the, you know, the, the mountain mastering lone hero journey or the hero's journey where you've got like the solo pioneer seeking out to get to the top of the mountain to, you know, to succeed, they've found their purpose. Those ways of viewing purpose don't actually enable adaptability at all. They're not able to evolve or flexibly shift in ever-changing environments. So I'm sharing all of this with you and I'll give you a little acronym at the end. But before I do, I want to come back to the example that you shared with me with regards to the Ukrainian president. Um, What we're seeing here is he's come in with a purpose of I need to show authority, I need to lead. And that is my DNA in in the context of this situation. But right now my DNA is reacting to an epigenetic factor here, which is all of a sudden my country is under siege. How am I going to respond? Who am I in this moment? Then he's taken a step back and he's looked around. Where am I? Where am I in this moment? Okay, my people are in crisis. They need to feel safe. They need to feel like I'm a part of this tribe. They need to belong. These are all epigenetic factors. So again, he's needed to evolve, adapt, shift his DNA as, a, as the leader in order to be able to facilitate and come into alignment with the system. So you can see there you've got the DNA, but you've also got two overlays of two really big epigenetic factors that have enabled him to adapt his purpose mm-hmm. to best serve the system in which he is leading. So to wrap all of that up, the way that I help people to do this on a daily basis is firstly, to not only view purpose as a way of thinking, but to view purpose as a way of being, an embodiment, a process, a way of being in the world, not just a way of thinking about the world. Whilst both are useful, this is really important if you wanna view purpose through the lens of DNA. What we then need to do is within that system, go, okay, right, well, if I am located here, within the context of this system, the information available right now, the proximity of people who are here, what courageous decisions do I need to make? Mm. How do I show up with courage? Because the one thing I have learned just in the many conversations I've had about purpose is that purpose will often ask us to you know, to to disrupt the status quo, to buck the trend, to choose to be kinder, to choose to be more compassionate. Um, Purpose might ask us to stand up or stand by somebody to speak up. 
often, more often than not, these things require us to make courageous decisions. And within the systems in which we are working in to create cultures of courageous decision makers. Because that is how we adapt. That is how we embody the adaptability quotient. And that is how we ignite human progress. And human progress isn't just about the grand missions or the, you know, the, the big shifts towards things like, you know, the clean energy transition or, or what it's going to take globally to be able to save the planet. Those things are really important. But that change, that change starts with you. It starts with the decisions you make today. It starts with choosing companies that um, are transitioning to clean energy, choosing carbon offsets. Whatever it is, there are all of these, these options, these choices that we make every single day that require us to be courageous. So the first, um, the first part of the DNA model is decisions, but more specifically, it is making courageous decisions. The second one is narrative. Really getting clear on the story you tell yourself, getting clear on the information diet you're consuming, so the information diet is something we talk about a lot at Future Crunch, and this is um, the idea that we need to be conscious of the information we consume in the same ways way we are conscious of our diet. Um, so you know we know that it's important to have to have greens, to have fruits, to have you know proteins. At the same time, we know it's not good to eat ice cream and burgers and chips and cheesy nachos all day long. And if we view information this way, um, it's important to be conscious of, you know, following people who inspire us, reading books that really enable us to learn something new about the world or about ourselves, choosing information that is enriching as opposed to, you know, always just putting on the news and letting ourselves literally be drenched in negative news that is, you know, that from a, neuros a neuroscience point of view is designed to hijack our brain um, you know, and, and designed to make us react with anger, outrage and fear, which from an evolution evolutionary perspective, our brains are wired to respond to that first. Mm. So it's like this horrible, like addictive clickbait, this cycle that we're all in to be watching negative news, to be on social media and mindlessly scrolling. And that stuff actually really impacts our physical and mental health. So we need to look at narrative from that perspective, which is something I'm passionate about, but also look at narrative in terms of really asking ourselves, what story do I personally need to burn? And that could be a personal story as, as in, am I showing up as, as who I really want to be showing up as? If I'm not feeling my purpose or feeling the flow we spoke about before, well, what story is actually creating a blocker? inside of me like is it that I don't believe in myself is it one of the I'm not enoughs there's many of them I'm not smart enough I'm not pretty enough I'm you know I'm not important enough whatever it might be it could be one of the I'm not enoughs but what what story do I need to burn through um in order to be able to really go to the next level or to create the kind of transformation I want to create and that's a tool you can also take um 
use in a business context as well. Like if you're trying to create a transformation and influence your people to be able to shift or take on a new behavior, what story do they need to burn? And what story does that organization need to burn? Finally, that's the D and the, the N. Finally, we have the A, which is alignment. And this is the one that I was just uh, so passionately talking about with, with Jacinta and, and with the situation in Ukraine, is we cannot be experiencing and embodying purpose unless we are located. And what it means to be located is to be in alignment with our tribe in alignment with where we are, the system in which we exist, because we are symbiotic. Mm. I cannot experience my purpose in this moment right now without you. I need you to experience it. I need to, in order to add maximum value and add maximum worth to this conversation, I need to be aware of the, the purpose of the podcast, of what you're hoping to achieve. I need to consider all of those things in order to be able to influence this system in a positive way. And ultimately, when we're talking about purpose, if we really come down to the simplest thing, it is answering the question of how can I take something bad and make it better? Mm. And even if we just have answered that one question, when we come into alignment with these systems, we will experience meaning. You're bringing up lots of things here, which is great. Uh, in New Zealand, we have a term in Māori language called whakapapa. Yeah. And Owen Eastwood explains it in a really great way where it's an unbroken chain from our ancestors that goes right through to our future. And it's, it's the people that are connected along the way. Um, and so it's interesting, inside Speakers Institute Corporate, we talk a lot about belonging and, and that connection. And we, rather than have values, we have DNA. Yeah. And so what is the DNA of the system in a way, but how does each person who comes in influence mm. the DNA in their own certain way? And it's really powerful and the, and the team are really connected with that. You're talking about adaptability being a great, uh, a really important thing in the future, you know, of leadership, etc. Mm. Belonging is right there with it. Yeah. You know, people want to feel connected. Absolutely. And, you know, neuroscience will show us, I interviewed Paul Zat, a neuroscientist mm -hmm. on this, that acts of generosity will produce oxytocin in the brain only if there is a sense of belonging and trust. Yes, you gotta build that space first. Which <laughs> so is, you're 100% right. Which is absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Now, uh, we're gonna shift a little bit here. And, you know, for you, uh, what has your spiritual development brought to your, your corporate work? Um, and, and why do you believe that, that spiritual conscious, you know, conversation has become more of a part of a discipline in the well-being and even your business offerings? Mm. Such an interesting question. Again, you know, our purpose is innate to who we are. And in my case, in the context of that question, um, I was 18 when I first uh, was introduced to the chakra system. Mm -hmm. um, for those who maybe are not familiar with the chakra system, the chakras are seven key energy centers that are located in different parts of our physical body. To describe them simply, in the same way that we have organs in our physical body that have different functions to process the energy inside of us, 
our chakras are like our energetic organs, our spiritual organs that process the energy that's around us and that moves through us. I like to talk about them as being like seven apps. And if you think about seven different apps on your phone, they each have different functions and are processing different data. Sometimes they get blocked and need an upgrade. Mm. And our chakras work in the same way. So I was introduced to the chakras um, because my cousin was actually the founder of Chakra Dance. Um, she had been in London, she came back to London and started teaching Chakra Dance, which literally started off as like small classes in the middle of, you know, Balmain community centres back in the early days. To give you context, Chakra Dance now has over a thousand teachers all over the world. And it's been such a privilege to watch my cousin literally build Chakra Dance um, from dancing to loud music in her living room to something that is really sitting alongside yoga and Pilates as you know as as probably one of the fastest growing well-being modalities mm. um, again the power of a dream who would yeah. think turning you know turning the lights off shutting your eyes and dancing could turn into like a global business a global <laughs> healing business um, but yeah so I started chakra dancing at such an early age and I think how that has really informed my work is that before I even started working in radio or with speakers, I had a very innate sense of what I was talking about in the context of purpose, what it means to embody energy. So when I'm talking about how a body can move and flow with a state of energy running through the body, I have a very specific connection to what that feels like because I have studied it. Mm. Um, so I, alongside, you know, studying media, I also went to London. I studied at the College of Psychic Studies in energy healing. Um, I was like 21. I then came back and became one of the first chakra dance teachers all over the world. Um, I, I guess now might be a good time to talk about what chakra dance is. Um, chakra dance is a well-being modality that fuses Jungian psychology alongside uh, free spontaneous dance to music that has been composed to specifically resonate with each chakra. Mm. So the combination of the dance, of the chakra resonant music, and of creating a safe space where people are you know, invited to dance, but with their eyes closed, it's very much an inner journey. All of those components in chakra dance enable people to begin to start to shift blocked energy. Um, and so I'm not, you know, I haven't studied Jung, I've studied chakra dance, but a lot of the premise of Jungian psychology is working with what's called the shadow self. And the shadow self is the unconscious parts of ourself. This is where if we've gone through something traumatic in our lives, um, we've had an experience that's really hurt us where we haven't been able to necessarily process the energy consciously, what we'll tend to do is push those emotions into another part of our brain, into mm. another part of our energy system. And it doesn't actually go anywhere. That energy tends to stagnate. Um, so working through a practice like chakra dance or any, you know, yoga, there are a lot of different healing modalities that support this kind of work, enables us to be able to shift that energy and literally bring it from the un unconscious part of ourselves into the conscious mind in order to be able to heal and work through whatever that is. And when we do that, 
we in essence go through a process of becoming more of who we are because we're releasing all of this trapped energy. So how has that informed me from a business perspective? Business is probably like the biggest fast track to personal development you could ever go through. So, you know, when, whilst, you know, there may be some people out there who's like, mm, chakras aren't really my thing. She's now doing the woo-woo talk. And that's cool. That's, that's totally fine. Regardless of how you view self-development and your own healing work, one thing I know to be true is if you want to expand as a leader and in business, you need to have a methodology to be able to really take a good look at yourself. Yeah. Because stories will come up that need that you need to work through. You will have times where you're pushed into moments of discomfort where a new level of courage is, is you're being asked to show a new level of courage. I mean, gosh, if the last few years haven't proven that, I don't know what does. Um, and so for me, it's chakra dance, but regardless of what it is for you, you need to have a methodology to do that work, to shift through those blocks, to look at those stories that are not serving you. You need to enable yourself to get really vulnerable and real about who you are and about what is stopping you from evolving. Because this is a world that is asking all of us to evolve and expand and grow. And that's not always easy. It asks us to take off masks. That certainly does. And, mm. and that ability to be conscious around our energy and, and mm. how, it, how it's either being utilized or being contracted, yep. I think is, is a huge part of, of being a person and, and being able to live your life. Absolutely. Really Absolutely. Yeah. Now, you've worked with many, many talented people over the years, you, you spent some time at Ode Management with the likes of Julie Masters yeah. and Leanne Christie, uh, two beautiful people, and yep. have achieved amazing things. You know, for you, when you when you spot someone like a, a Yoshi Grinsberg or a, uh, even an Anders Sulman Nilsson, those type of talent, you know, what is what are you looking for in them that you go, you know what, you've got X Factor? Yeah, I mean, they're two very different examples with very different attributes. Um, now, what I would say is that somebody like Yossi is, Yossi is probably one of the most inspiring and powerful storytellers on the planet. And the thing for me that I think is just mind-blowing about Yossi is that when he tells a story, if you watch him speaking, on stage or even spend time with Yossi in person, the way he tells a story, you can see that he is in that story. Like literally, it's almost like all, all of time dissolves around Yossi and he transports you visually back to that jungle. You're standing there with him while he's got fire ants burning his skin or, you know, while he's um, you know, while he's hallucinated this young Brazilian woman to help him get through, you know, two grueling days of survival. The way he brings that to life, it's almost like the layers of time dissolve and he is there mm -hmm. and he is, you know, transporting us to that moment of time and that bubble. Um, and it's something that I find really extraordinary and it's something that is, I haven't seen many storytellers do that. Like you can tell a story and you can 
transport people and enable empathy and, and mm. allow people to have that emotional exchange. But Yossi just takes it to a whole nother level. Yeah. And I actually haven't seen any other speaker do what he does yeah. in that sense. Um, Anders, again, is a very different product. Anders is very slick. He mm. brings like the Swedish design yes. to everything that, that he does on stage. He's got um, a process that enables perfectionism. Mm. I'm not saying that, I'm sure he chooses process over perfect, otherwise he'd never get anything done. But there's an element to Anders that, that has that aesthetic value. And don't get me wrong, he does the work, like his content is deep. Um, but he also really looks to bring that content to life um, with these kind of design aspects to everything that he does. And that is what you're buying into when you book Anders. Mm. There are a lot of really smart thought leaders out there. All of the information and all of the content is out there. It's not about the content ultimately. That's, that is, you know, that's a part of it. People want content. But actually when people are booking these incredibly talented people, they're booking everything else that is in their DNA. Mm. Um, like, you know, the likes of Anders, Sorma Nilsson could deliver the content of Future Crunch or we could deliver his content in terms of the actual content. What makes the two brands incredibly different is that Future Crunch has this kind of quirky coloured jacket right on the edge of, um, of maybe what's acceptable in corporate, close enough to it to still be corporate, but very quirky, fun, mm. very different brand, very different brand. So when a, someone books us, they're booking that alongside the content. Mm. Um, if they're booking Anders, they're booking that design aesthetic, the, that sort of slick delivery alongside the content. Mm. Um, and so I was only thinking with my team, with Future Crunch, I very rarely will read a CV first upon making a decision to bring someone onto my team. I will generally meet them. I will have an instant feel for whether they're right based on who they are. And then I'll do due diligence mm. and, and see where their credibility is later. But I can tell you every single time I have brought people onto our team because of who they are, not yeah. because of their content. And, and is there, like when, when someone starts to speak or you're connected, is, is there anything that you kind of tune into that kind of grabs your attention quickly or is, that, is it just something that is innate inside of you? Uh, it, look, it is innate. It is innate. I have some kind of weird kind of, talent finding genius thing like <laughs> I just do I don't know why I, I it's one of my little it's one of my DNA points is I just have an instinct and of course I do I've been doing mm. this since I was in my early 20s I grew up with a dad in the media I you know I had these people in my home people who were in the media speakers communicators journalists in my home from day dot so of course I have an innate gift for spotting people who have the right attributes to be communicators. Um, I don't even remember learning that. Um, that part's obvious. Look, the, in terms of, again, it comes back to the system, the alignment. Um, in terms of Future Crunch, we have core values as a brand. We're a very progressive brand. We're very much about um, moving our species forward, about shifting narratives. Um, so in that sense, 
I need to know that if we are bringing someone onto the team, that they are aligned with our brand. Culturally, we're a very quirky team yeah. as well. Um, you know, we have a lot. We have a lot of fun. You know, I remember when we interviewed um, our head of sales, George. Um, very specifically, having a joke with Tane, going, "How can we weed him out?" And in that interview, Tane literally running off, grabbing a glitter jacket and a crazy hat to watch how he would respond to us being us. Mm and to see if he would handle that. Because if he was someone who was very kind of straight edge corporate and didn't have those personality attributes and that sense of fun that would that we needed in our team, that was gonna be a problem. Yeah. Um, so that was like a little thing that we did in the interview that's not so crazy that it's not appropriate, but crazy enough for us to get a feel for how he was gonna to respond to Tane running off and putting like a crazy gold glitter jacket on. Um, so little things like that, that show you who a person is. Yeah, beautiful. I like it. You're a very curious person. Uh, I'd like to know, what is the one thing you love about yourself, but you don't understand anything about it? That is such a good question. Something I love about myself, but I don't understand anything about it. Yeah. I'm still working it out. To be honest, like I have, I look at the trajectory of my career and on one hand, I am in a team of science communicators, a, a quirky corporate, but nonetheless a corporate brand, one that focuses on the political economy and on technology and things that are very much of the real world, yeah. quote unquote. On the other hand, I exist in a world of chakras and energy and healing and psychic connection and, you know, like I've often looked at these two things and I'm like, why am I who I am? <laughs> because this is really, it's really hard to make sense of all of this. And how does this part of who I am fit in with this part of who I am? And how do I love and embody all of those things together without fear of, without fear of losing people? along the way um you know obviously there's an element where it's like i'm the director of future crunch how's it going to be received if they also say that i'm a chakra dance teacher mm. and what does that mean and so the journey in that intersection is an interesting one because it requires you said what do i love about myself well actually to be me requires radical self-love because if i don't fully embody and accept all parts of myself and accept it enough for me to step into those parts publicly. If I'm worrying what other people think about the fact that I am both about the soul and healing as much as I am about science and technology and that both of those things are credible, if I don't love myself in that and if I'm looking for acceptance from other people, that's not gonna be a fun journey. No. I've got to 100% own that influence and own that space. The part I don't know is I do feel there's going to be a point in time where there is an intersection that comes together here. I think science is really catching up with Eastern medicine and traditions and Ayurveda and that at some point there is going to be an intersection between what I know about the world of spirit and what I know about the world of science. And that's the part where... That's the part I don't know about myself yet. I don't know what that means. I'm kind of sitting with the world on that and moving forward. Mm, just 
be you and it'll come well, it's, when exactly. it needs to come it'll come exactly it, you know we talk uh, i mentioned in the introduction that you've uh, recently been married yes and you know i was talking to someone else the other day around the thing of branding and influence so what was the experience like for you going from okay i'm rebecca tap in the world everyone knows me as rebecca tap rebecca, rebecca tap and future crunch dinner purpose i've been out there in the world for a long time to change the last name and how that is landed and like were you kind of conscious around you know are people still going to know who I am do I have to keep explaining how did that how has that process gone for you for me it represented a transition um I have been in the speaking industry for a long time um I spent many years as you've already mentioned working for owned management um since then even within the growth trajectory of Future Crunch, much of my role has been about business development and expanding that side of the business and bringing in, you know, the marketing strategies and all the tools that I learned about corporate positioning and what I, what I know from, from the speaking industry and embedding that into the Future Crunch brand alongside um, Gus and Tane. At the end of last year, we all made a decision that it was time for me to step into becoming a speaker, to launch DNA of Purpose as a keynote and to really expand out that way. I also made a decision at that point to get a lot, uh, to really own my soulful influence, so to speak, with Chakra Intelligence and teaching Chakra Dance and to really put that out in the world. So becoming, you know, shifting from a tap to MacLad actually also represented the transition from that Rebecca to this one. So it felt it was intentional and significant in terms of my evolution. Um, and so in that sense, I didn't think about what anyone else thought. If anything, for me, it's probably an advantage, particularly in the speaking industry, that a lot of people know Rebecca Tapp as the agent, mm. the, the talent agent, the on the business side of the fence, where this also enables me to kind of really step into a new version of myself and to kind of cut the cord a little bit, like take all the good things, but to cut the cord from that version of myself and let myself become something new. Mm. I love how you're owning that. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> we all know smart people have great answers, but the most successful people ask great questions. Yeah. When was the last time you did something for the first time? Coming back to the, the example with Future Crunch and moving into speaking, um, as you know, I, I'd done a lot of ad hoc speaking over the years in you know, a variety of, of rooms, including the Speakers Institute. So, you know, the ability to kind of get up and ramble, I'd done that lots. <laughs> but the thing with Future Crunch is that we often deliver our content in duo, as duos. We are a collective think, think tank, which means, say, you know, DNA of Purpose, the keynote. Um, I don't write that on my own. None of our keynotes are written by any one person. We literally have almost like a peer review system with our content where our content will go through the lens of every Future Crunch team member. Mm. And so that enables us to have a, a, a whole array of very diverse perspectives right. over our content. It. And it also enables us to really form like a universal narrative um, that is that solves problems for many, as opposed to, I am an individual and I am a star and this is what I think. Um, so, you know, that's that's, 
something that is, is so fun and amazing, but it also means that you need to learn your lines. <laughs> we have a script, we have parts. Um, Honestly, you know, people often think, oh, those speakers get paid so much for that one hour of work. You should observe the four days before of what it takes to learn an hour worth of script and not like just easy script. Like you're talking about language technology and medicine and science and, you know, big stuff. Yeah. Um, and to, to learn that script. So, yeah, that was probably... Um, the last time I did something that I had never done was when I first stepped onto the stage and, you know, I didn't, Tane and I didn't exactly choose uh, a small event. Gus had got quite sick at the end of last oh. year. And so my first Future Crunch keynote happened to be with Commonwealth Bank. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I'm like, couldn't I have just chosen a primary school? <laughs> that might have been nice. Um, yeah. And so to, to step into this whole experience of having to learn uh, an hour's worth of content, like rope learn script like an actor, and then work out the dynamics of the duo and stage presence, and then to go and deliver that to an audience. Um, that required an enormous amount of courage, of adaptability, and really, and I'm still in this at the moment, like that upper limit thinking where if a brain's a muscle, I'm literally pulling some really much heavier weights at the moment. And that was the first time where I was like, oh, so stretched. Uh, we're so excited to see that you're up on the stage yeah. now because we could see the talent there and it's so beautiful to watch that transition taking place. What is the one question you would love to solve? How we as a world embrace binary thinking. Like it. Yeah. Ooh, I'll let that one sit for the audience. Yeah. And how would you define an inspiring great leader? And for you, who is a great example of this in your world? For me, the one word I would use to describe an inspiring leader is presence. It's, it comes back to the ability to be located in a system so that you can align to that system and as a leader that's your primary objective mm. how do i align what i do to the needs of these people this system this organization this community um, and you can't do that unless you're present you can't anchor unless you're present you can't listen to somebody unless you're present you can't create a vision for the future unless you're present to the decision you need to make today or present to the rope of history, the story of origin that has brought you to that point. So yeah, presence is at the heart of everything that an inspiring leader needs in order to lead, I believe. Um, the second part of your question was an example of this. An example of this. Funnily enough, I'm going to use an example from my own team mm. and give Tane Hunter, who is the co-founder of Future Crunch and also my business partner, some, some big love. We did a team filming day. We wanted to create a team showreel that included um, nine of us. Um, so I was watching him that day and each of us had to learn different parts of the script and different duo combinations to be able to film this showreel. And I was observing him that day and he just has this innate ability 
to really sit back and hold space for others. I watched him walk around, like just checking in on the team. Is everybody okay? Is the makeup artist okay? Is, um, you know, people, even probably the venue owners who we were paying, he was seeing, making sure they were okay. And <laughs> that's just, Tane is like the heartbeat of our organization. I kind of sometimes feel like I'm a bit more like the nervous system, you know, bringing all the connections together, but Tane is the heartbeat. And um, yeah, so to, to work with him is an honor, um, truly an honor. That's one example of actually how he rolls all the time. Yeah, yeah. I, I love how you, you've identified someone so close. It's really, yeah. really beautiful. Well, ultimately the leaders who inspire us are always the ones who are closest to us. Yeah, very good. Mm. Now, we've, uh, you've shared some amazing, amazing insights and gems today. If people would like to connect with you, what is the best way they can do that? Um, well, certainly jump on the Future Crunch website as, as your first, um, as a starting point. That is Future Crunch, which is www.future crun like c-r-u-n dot c-h it's a little bit tricky although you will find our media website where you can sign up for our newsletter at futurecrunch.com or just google us you will find us sign up to the newsletter um the podcast there's so much information there with regards to how to ignite intelligent optimism in your life um if you're wanting to connect with me personally you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, Rebecca Macklad, um, Chakra Intelligence is at Chakra Intelligence as well. There's lots of different touch points there. So, Rebecca, as always, it's been a real pleasure to sit here in the same room. I don't get to do this too often with the podcast interviews and go deep into your world, really understand the influence that your father had over you yeah. and your upbringing there kind of in the in the rural aspect, you know, it's, it's kind of part of Sydney, but it's actually quite rural where you were in yep. a way. And how that has, you know, shaped you as a human being and who you are right now. And I, I love the way that you have gone deep inside of purpose and looked at it from a DNA perspective and how it evolves and is shaped in the environment we're in and the, the importance of being present where we are. To your curiosity, the way you're able to spot talent and uh, identify quickly and I and I've seen this uh, in person where you're able to spot someone and identify fast where where their strong suits are and where areas that they can work on and uh, so I really thank you for your time today and I look forward to doing a chakra dance with you oh, at I some point in the future you know, definitely <laughs> well actually at the end of our June, I will have online offerings, which means you can chakra dance at home in your own living room. So, <laughs> my, my wife will be highly concerned if she sees me, <laughs> uh, which is beautiful. So, thank you very thank much you for your so time. Thank you so much. Tay. I really enjoyed our conversation as well. Thank you. It's time for you to join the Inspiring Great Leaders movement by visiting craigjohns.com.au. Share this podcast on LinkedIn. And be sure to hashtag inspiring great leaders. We would love it if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the Craig Johns LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next inspiring great leaders podcast. Where the ordinary don't belong.